You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Mark DeLaghi. The management of gastrointestinal diseases has rapidly developed over the last 10 years. How to stay up on the latest is a challenge. Joining us to discuss practical solutions for the practicing gastroenterologist is Dr. William Shea, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of Michigan School of Medicine and Director of the GI Physiology Laboratory, and Dr. Nicholas Shaheen, Associate Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology Director, Center for Esophageal Diseases and Swallowing, University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Shea and Shaheen. Thanks for having us, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Well, gastrointestinal disease in general is a significant cause of issues of morbidity and mortality in the United States. I've read that there's over 35 million physician visits for GI disease, over 2 million hospitalizations, and even over 200,000 deaths annually. So my question is, have we done a good job really getting that message across to the public about the frequency and severity of GI diseases? Mr. Bill Che, I think there is emerging evidence to help support the statements that you just made, specifically that a number of different GI diseases are very important causes of morbidity and mortality in the United States. I think the most visible disease state that's gotten a lot of attention recently has been colon cancer. I think most people have heard about the importance of screening for colorectal cancer and the GI societies and I think us as individual gastroenterologists are thrilled about the fact that Medicare, Medicaid, as well as most insurance companies now cover colorectal cancer screening. And I think it's also very exciting, the thought that we're getting a number of new tools available to us to screen patients for colorectal cancer. Hey, Nick, I have a question for you with regards to that. When my patients have cardiac disease, they're at their physician in a lickety split, we'll say. Typically, when you talk about gastroenterology, people think about diarrhea or nausea or some benign disease. Do you think we're getting the message across well to the people that when they have a GI disease, they need to take it seriously and get to their physician? Well, you know, Mark, I hate to disagree a little bit with Bill, but I have to say that as a profession, we're doing about C plus, B minus. The reason I say that is that patients view many of these problems as inconveniences or perhaps don't consider the ramifications of some of these problems because they have been hardwired for certain disease states such as cardiac disease, the pain in your chest, the breast cancer folks have done a great job with, you know, a woman that detects a lump in her breast. And perhaps, you know, some of these issues, someone who sees some blood in their stool or someone who's had 10 years of severe reflux and yet blows it off and keeps taking rolls and rolls of Rolaids or Tums, you know, maybe we aren't doing quite as well as we should. And, you know, Bono runs around and does a super job of publicizing AIDS awareness and Certainly, the breast cancer advocates do a great job with the pink ribbons and all that, but perhaps, you know, we haven't been as vocal as we should be in the kind of the general media. Certainly, I agree with Bill that our colleagues are are starting to get the message about colorectal cancer awareness, but, you know, you really can't name that many celebs that are out there stumping for colorectal cancer awareness. So I'd have to say that we're making inroads, but we still have a long way to go. Hey, Bill, I read recently that for colon cancer, in fact, after someone's been diagnosed, that the actual follow-up for colonoscopy is below 50%, meaning people showing up or perhaps being referred for follow-up colonoscopy. 
Do you think that's kind of a telltale sign of kind of the laissez-faire attitude people have to GI diseases? Well, I think it's not only that, Mark. I think it also reflects the fact that many of the individuals that are caring for patients with these disorders unfortunately aren't up to date on the most appropriate way to manage these disorders. It's, of course, more complicated than just that. But what I guess what I'm suggesting is that that is a component. For example, if you look at recent surveys that have been done evaluating whether or not clinicians are up to date on the most recent colorectal cancer screening guidelines and the issue that you raised with regard to surveillance, there still remains a fair amount of confusion about that. So while I think we have made significant inroads with regard to publicizing the need for colorectal cancer screening, the actual implementation of those screening and surveillance practices leaves something to be desired. I think, again, we're making very good starts, but there's no question that we need more education. We need to make sure that people know what to do and we have effective ways by which to actually make those recommendations happen in clinical practice. Nick, the management of GI disease has certainly become a lot more complicated over the last 10 years to the point that I'm not sure I can keep up with everything, such as the new treatments for hepatitis B and C and the treatments for inflammatory bowel disease. They seem very complicated. How does a practicing physician keep up with this and still continue to run their practice? That's a great question, Mark. I think it's becoming increasingly challenging for people in practice to be able to stay on the cutting edge at the same time that they're seeing heavy patient loads. Certainly the old tried and true of reading journals and going to DDW and the like are good resources, but I totally agree with your point. I think that now that we have highly active but also potentially very toxic therapies for things like IBD and viral hepatitis, the stakes in the game have gotten a little bit higher and the chance of making a mistake may also go up a bit as well. In addition to the more conventional resources that we have to stay up, I think that it's important for people to take advantage of electronic resources. There's no reason that somebody needs to be in the same room with somebody else to learn about what's going on. I think it's important to take advantage of some of the GI websites like gastro.org, for instance, to get the latest and greatest of what's going on there. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark DeLegge, and joining me today to discuss practical solutions for the practicing gastroenterologist is Dr. William Shea, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of Michigan School of Medicine and Director of the GI Physiology Laboratory, and Dr. Nicholas Shaheen, Associate Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology, Director, Center for Esophageal Diseases and Swallowing, University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Bill, I'm going to pick it back up with you. Some of these diseases like eosinophilic esophagitis, I never heard of that when I was training, and I know a lot of this is actually endoscopic recognition of what things look like for diseases that I never saw. So what do I do about that? Can I keep up with those sort of learning tools as a gastroenterologist? You know, it's interesting the way you phrase the question, Mark, because the disease has been there. We just really haven't recognized it. And as time goes on, we're getting better and better at being able to recognize the specific clinical phenotype that tends to occur in patients with that disorder and also in recognizing the best ways to diagnose it both endoscopically and histologically. You know, treatment for that disorder has also evolved from nowhere. I mean, the thought of using topical steroids swallowed to treat an esophageal disorder, you know, I think is really quite fascinating, certainly a paradigm shift in the way we treat many patients with dysphagia. So can doctors keep up? Yes, they can keep up. It's certainly a challenge, as Nick alluded to. There are a variety of different kinds of sources, but 
I think one way in which to keep up outside of the traditional reading of journals, there are a variety of different Internet sources, and certainly with the advent of widely available video, both online as well as at live conferences now, you can really get a better flavor for what the endoscopic images look like compared to just even five to ten years ago. Nick, I have a question. Most of the fellows coming out today really are blessed with some very good training tools, some very good teaching, and they've been exposed to these hepatitis B and hepatitis C treatments and also treatment for inflammatory bowel disease, not to mention other disorders we've been talking about. Do you think the practicing gastroenterologist today out in practice is at a disadvantage as compared to the fellows with regards to knowledge? That's an interesting observation, Mark. I think in some respects you may be right. The fact that the folks that are coming out of excellent training programs are exposed to hopefully what's really up-to-date information, whereas those that have been out for a while have to struggle to get that kind of information in their toolkit. Of course, you have to obviously weigh that against the increased experience that the folks that have out, they may not know the dose of the swallowed and inhaled steroid that Bill was referring to, but I think that there are also a lot of diagnoses that they're more likely to make that perhaps their less experienced counterparts won't. So at the end of the day, I think that there's a balance, and hopefully if you're working hard to keep up, you're going to get the best of both worlds. Bill, I keep hearing about the Congress. Can you tell me about that and what it does for me to help me keep up to date? The Congress is a direct response to some of the issues about physicians feeling overwhelmed with all of the new information rapidly coming out in a wide variety of disease categories. The intent behind the Congress was to develop a meeting that was entirely clinical relevant designed specifically for the practicing gastroenterologists. All the topics have been carefully chosen to address areas that we commonly take care of in gastroenterology and hepatology practice. The speakers and the content have been, again, carefully chosen to try to address the needs of the practicing clinician. We also have a variety of breakout sessions that are available that will cover in a slightly different way, more of a group interactive kind of way than the didactic sessions that will occur in the mornings on each of the days of the Congress. Nick, where would I go to get some information about this Congress? Well, there are a few places that you can look. Certainly on gastro.org, there is not only our program, but there's also registration materials, and that's a great resource. Additionally, if you're an AGA member, you probably got something in the mail as well. If you're a trainee, your program director has something. And parenthetically, I'll mention, Mark, that if you are a trainee and you're one of the first 30 folks to sign up, we're going to let you in for free as well. I would like to thank my guests from the University of Michigan School of Medicine, Dr. William Shea, and Dr. Nicholas Shaheen from the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Dr. Shea and Shaheen, thank you very much for being our guests this week on GI Insights. Thanks for having us, Mark. Thanks, Mark. You have been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. If you enjoy GI Insights, mark your calendar for an exceptional educational event. Register today for the 2009 AGA Institute Clinical Congress, an in-depth two-and-a-half-day review of clinical gastroenterology. You'll hear from renowned experts in the GI field who will address today's most relevant clinical and practice management issues. The Congress takes place January 23rd through 25th in Las Vegas.
Learn more and register today at www.gastro.org slash clinical congress. Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is proud to sponsor this important and quality programming for ReachMD listeners. Takeda does not control the editorial content of this broadcast. The views expressed are solely those of the guests who are selected by the AGA Institute. Based in Deerfield, Illinois, Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is a wholly owned subsidiary of Takeda Pharmaceutical Company Limited, the largest pharmaceutical company in Japan. In the United States, Takeda markets products for diabetes, insomnia, wakefulness, and gastroenterology, and is developing products in the areas of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and other conditions. Takeda is committed to striving toward better health for individuals and progress in medicine by developing superior pharmaceutical products. To learn more about the company and its products, visit www.tpna.com.